How's everybody doing? It's Louie from azcentral.com doing another I Am Your Father podcast that I do as part of my blog over at AZ Central. So today I wanted to do something um, a little more personal to me as opposed to something directly related to my son, um, who's usually the focus of all these kinds of things. You know, the I started doing this because my son's cool. They asked me to do a uh, blog at work, and I was like, sure, I like doing blogs, and I really love doing podcasts, so I brought in a podcast as part of that. But we recently at work had a meet and greet with the publisher of the company, and that's you know that's a big deal. The publisher is the publisher, and she's cool. So she invited us up and, and wanted us to say uh, our names, who we are, that kind of thing, and then something people don't know about us, right? And that's kind of a really interesting open-ended question because if you take it literally, uh, people who I work with were in that room, and a lot of them know a lot of stuff about me, but I don't know what everybody doesn't know about me. So I kind of just interpreted that to, to, to say the most interesting thing you think about yourself, really, which is kind of an egotistical question. Like, why do you think you're interesting, right? That's like, I don't know, maybe you're not interesting. What are you going to do? Something, not everybody's super interesting. It's going to happen. The good news is we, live, we work in a newsroom where most people have some interesting quirk about them, right? You can't be a journalist. You can't do what we do and not be interesting on at least a basic level. The Most of the people I know are interesting on a pretty dynamic one. Uh, so it's cool. Journalists are cool. They're fun to be around. They're angry, bitter people. But somewhere in there, they love what they do. It's, it's a kind of a weird mix. Um, ironic, I guess. I don't know. So the question, I knew that question was coming because I asked. That's what I do. There's a meeting with the publisher. You go ahead and ask people who've already been there what is going on, right? That's just kind of how that goes. So they told us, well, she's, she's going to ask something uh, most people don't know about yourself. So, of course, I went to Facebook and posted on Facebook, you know, because that's what I do. I just went to Facebook and was like, yo, what? here are three things that I think probably would work for that. What? Which of these do you decide, you know, should you think I should use? Um, so most people went with the one that I ended up bringing up. But one person, one genius soul of a person who is one of the nicest people I've ever met, honestly, um, she used to work here, Jennifer. Uh, she's cool. Jen's cool. She's a really cool person. On Facebook, she asked that I do a podcast explaining all three of my individual stories. and she, But she questioned whether or not I'd be able to tie it into the idea of a daddy kind of father podcast. And the truth of the matter is that's a really easy thing to do both ways. I can easily tell you the, other, the all three of the stories and I can easily tie it into the idea of me being a father. The reason is, I believe pretty firmly that our experiences, our life experiences, right, good or bad, evil or blessed, all of the things that we've done in our life, all of this, most of the big decisions we've made, anything that has happened to us, sometimes through our own actions and other times through no fault of our own, kind of define us and make us up as far as who we are and how we see the world, right? That's just, I mean, if you look at like the politics that are going on right now, people see the candidates, people see the issues, people see the politics that they're debating entirely through the lens of their life experience. Very rarely do people say, hey, well, let, tell me what you have been through and let me try to see the world through your eyes, right? Because that's crazy. Nobody wants to like understand people and have empathy for people. That's ridiculous. So we see the world and experience it and make decisions through our own experiences, sometimes with feedback, but even then the feedback we're asking for is just validation of what we already believe. So I believe that these three stories I'm going to tell you had an impact on my life and had an impact on how I see the world, how I experience the world, more importantly. And I worry that of how they're going to make me experience fatherhood and how they're going to make me see my son and teach my son and help raise my son with my wife. And the things that I went through or did or experienced as a child and now as an adult, 
will absolutely have a direct impact, I think, on how I raise my son. That's just, seems pretty easy to me, honestly. I mean, I, I, you can overcome some of these things, obviously, if you're self-aware enough, you can overcome bad decisions, but, or bad experiences, and you can hopefully turn them into some kind of teaching moment for your, chi for your children, but they're still part of you, and they're there, and you're talking about them in any kind of way because you experienced them. So without further ado, here were the three stories that I brought up on Facebook as, as a potential uh, idea, as a potential nugget of my life that I can tell everybody, hey, here's why I'm special. Uh, I will preface this by saying I don't think any of these three make me special. I don't think any of these stories mean I have overcome anything or I'm some kind of strong person. That's just my life. It's just what I went through, good or bad. I don't think it means anything to anything other than myself, my life, and my family. But I, I do think maybe you, you guys will find interesting enough. Uh, the first one I'll tell you is a pretty basic one. Uh, this one is just more funny than anything else. I think now looking back, though, if my son were to do this, and here's a little side note. If my son were to do any of these, I would be super upset. I would be like, no, why have you followed me down the path of darkness, right? Like, I don't want him to choose Vader as much as I love Vader. Go with Obi-Wan, dude. I'm the dark side. So, so here's the first one, which is kind of basic. Um, one of the things about me is I'm kind of an addictive personality. I, I, I got into podcasting. I'm not like clinical or anything like that, but I tend to like jump into things. I can just kind of go down a rabbit hole of stuff that I really like. So I got into podcasting because I liked video games. I loved video games, actually. My friends were doing a podcast like, yo, you want to do a podcast? Sure. Ever since then, I've done a version of a podcast. And that's why I'm right now standing in front of this microphone in this soundproof room of our newsroom talking to you about these things. Um, I, I tend to jump into things when I care about them and when I find value in them. I tend to jump nuts, which is why I'm pretty good with breaking news because breaking news, you have to be obsessive for short periods of time. So as a child, as a kid, as a youth of sorts, um, I started drinking a lot, like a lot. Not like casual kid drinking that we did in the 90s where you just kind of drank. And, oh, you remember Zimas? When Zimas came out, they took the nation by storm. The sure heck took high schools by storm. So we just kind of drank. But, no, I've drank like for real, like binge drinking. Like I'm the guy who like always goes too far. <laughs> always, like I always went too far when I drank in high school. Um, I'm not terribly proud of it, but it's just kind of how it is. Like I just, I can tell you endless stories of me going too far as a high school kid drinking. Um, and this manifested itself in school, at school. Um, friends of mine knew I drank a lot and it was kind of a problem, I guess, now looking back, I didn't really think too much about it when I was a kid. I was also really self-destructive and that's kind of carried through. Um, so I've had a friend who I'll never name. I had a friend who gave me, uh, used to work at a store in the, in the little town I grew up in. I grew up right on the California border, which is just pandemonium, right? The California border when I was growing up was Thunderdome. You could just do whatever you wanted. Essentially it was madness. So I had a kid who, who, a friend of mine who worked at a grocery store, or a store, really, not a grocery store, just worked at a store, um, and he would get me liquor. Not like beer, because why would I drink beer? I No, I had to go all out. I would drink liquor. Uh, whiskey was a particular friend of mine, and vodka was, was really important to me. So he got me a bottle of vodka, a little bottle, one of those little bottles you see, at least where I grew up, the little winos, we call them winos, and the guys who would just be outside drinking all the time, they'd wrap it up in a paper bag and drink it, you know? Um... Oh, shout out to Choco, who's one of the winos. It was really cool when I was growing up. So um, they got me a bottle of vodka. And so I took it to campus, as I often did, and I poured it in a container of Sprite, as I often did. For those of you who went to high school with me, who I'm still friends with, there's only like four of you on Facebook. I, anytime you saw me with a with uh, cup of Sprite, there was probably vodka in it. So uh, I, I went to campus that was just one day. 
vodka in it, and it was right after lunch, and we're chilling, waiting for the bell to ring to go back to class. And I was just kind of sipping it, doing my own thing, right? And a friend of mine who knew that I was drinking something came over, sat next to me, and said, can I have a drink? I'm like, no, you can't have a drink. He goes, dude, let me have a drink. I said, no, He's like, leave me alone. He goes, well, just let me get the bottle. I was like, sure, why not? Because I'm stupid, right? I said, sure, let me pull this bottle of vodka out of my bag in front of everybody and give it to this kid. Why not? So we did that. He took a sip, put the bottle back, and then here comes security guard. Now, this security guard is legendary where I grew up. His name is Mono. I'm sure by now he's dead. He was a good dude, though. Good dude. I really like the guy. Everybody in high school, everybody in our school district that we went to knew Mono. As a side note, I want to say right now, I don't know if he got into any trouble. I don't know if he did anything bad since I left. But when I was there, he seemed like a good dude. Um, so he walks over and he says, I need to see your bag. Damn it. Okay, here. You know, what are you going to do? You got me. So I'm not going to run, right? That's crazy. So he gets my bag, pulls the vodka out, and he says, I got to take you to like the thing. And I was like, you don't have to take me anywhere. It's fine. Just take the bottle. Immediately start bargaining, right? Because that's what you do. You start bargaining. No, just take it. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, I got to take you in. Somebody reported it like somebody somebody else saw it and i think i know who did it too by the way i never really said but i think i know who did it so reported me took me to the office long story short i get suspended from school and they make me go to what we call their continuation i think some people now call it alternative school um so i did a semester of alternative school or continuation my junior year of high school uh, and it was the craziest semester of my life. All these dudes that were in there were all like former bank uh, uh, gangbangers, troubled kids, you know, kids that I knew growing up and kind of just disappeared, right? If you go through high school and you go through the school system, you may come across kids that just kind of disappear from your daily life. And maybe you see them later as adults and you're like, yo, what happened to you? It's a good chance they went to alternative continuation school because at the time our school system wasn't just going to discard these children. These are tax dollars, right? But they put them in an alternative school and just kind of left them there to rot. So it was like a half, it was half day, and you would see like parole officers come and go. I, I, I'm i not exaggerating, on multiple times, the kids would run, there'd be a kid running out of our classroom, like jump a fence and then break out, like leave, because the parole officer showed up or probation officer showed up. Um, and so like, they, you know, that's what that school was. It was a semester of that, where for me, being kind of a, a troublemaker, but I wouldn't call myself a troubled kid, I was kind of like walking the line of, I was that kid in school who like knew everybody, who knew all the, 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 the popular kids, but who could hang out with like the mess ups pretty cleanly. Like I could hang out with the kids who were like in detention and I played football so I could hang out with like the jocks without a problem. There were, there were all of them were cool. Like they were all cool to me. They were good kids and, and troublemakers especially were really fun. So I hung out with them for a semester. Part of my, I don't know, I guess my sentencing, part of my punishment was I had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous for like kids and you wouldn't think this but at least in my school there was a group of kids like I wasn't the only one there was a handful of kids who went to this every Saturday morning we would go to it every Saturday morning and I think it was the FA F future farmers of America FFA right teacher was a good dude I think he also taught science maybe he was the one who would like oversee the class like we'd come in and he would talk to us about drugs and alcohol he would have guest speakers Looking back, it was actually a pretty cool thing. Like, it's a pretty cool idea to bring kids who were, like, kind of on the cusp of really, really messing up their lives and just bringing them together with a teacher who was really cool, really understanding guy, and would just talk to us about drugs and alcohol on a pretty straightforward level. It's the kind of thing that now, like, parents would so totally, like, like uh, protest, right, get super angry about. 
But at the time, we, you know, we were cool. It was chill. We just talked about these things. Now, the ultimate irony is a lot of times we'd go to this thing like hungover. You know, but what are you going to do? We're kids. We're smart asses. We were there because we weren't the best students. Um, so I did that for a semester, hung out with these really cool kids, met some of them, became friends with some of them for the next year or so, you know. And then I just went back to school my senior year, graduated and got into college and all that stuff. So that was the story of how I had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous as a youth, as a junior in high school, actually. It was a really weird time. This next one, I'll tell you, is a little weirder. I don't know, it's just weird. It's, it's a weird thing to look back. You know, you, you do things in your life, you have phases in your life, adult or kid, and you look back, and it's kind of like weird, right? It's, like, it's almost like a dream. Like, wait, did that, that happen? So my father, who, um, I've, and I've always loved my father. He's a good guy. I thought, before I go further, I'll tell you that I thought my father was a good person who was just really haunted by his demons. He was haunted by his own childhood, which was, you know, eons worse than mine. Mine wasn't bad, by the way. Mine was just interesting. Um, and, and, and he, you know, he, he was haunted by these demons that he just couldn't escape. And he is a really good example of what I'm trying to get at here, which is like your life experiences and what you go through makes you, helps to define the kind of father you're going to be because you can't help these things. So my father was a lifelong uh, heroin addict, at least through my life. Now I don't know what he's doing. He may be completely clean, and if he is, you know, God bless him. But he wasn't most of my life, at least. He was a heroin addict. And he was a heroin addict, if I remember right, since he was a teenager, he was a child. Um, so there was a church that I think still exists, Victory Outreach, that was kind of cool. It was the kind of church, uh, uh, I want to say it was Christian, but I, it might have just been non-denominational before, you know, before I knew what that meant. And it, it really went after drug addicts, and um and former prostitutes you know so people who were trying to get their life together but people who were really at society's bottom these are the people that society kind of ignores um, mocks to some extent and kind of uses them as like political volleyballs but nobody really does anything at least when i was growing up not a lot of people were doing anything to help these people not in any kind of real way certainly not in any kind of spiritual way so this this church this kind of like it ended up being a worldwide kind of church with branches everywhere they catered and went for specifically for drug addicts and prostitutes and they had homes like they had these these like homes that they would have where these people would go and live so like men would go to the man's men's home and women would go to the women's home and it was more than just a detox kind of thing it was just to get your life back together to kind of recenter yourself and learn about you know like jesus the bible and learn about these kinds of things of like who god is and what they think he might be able to do for you so it was just that kind of home. You can go be with one another and kind of, I actually spent a summer there. That's not the story, but I spent a summer there. So, so this church really, really went after us. And, and we went there. My father went there. My mother went there. Me and my sisters went there. And there was a time, I would say probably, it was less than a year, I would guess, where I was pretty active in the youth group, right? Every church has youth groups. But a church that caters towards drug addicts and prostitutes, the youth group is going to be a little different. So these, a lot of these kids were themselves former drug users and maybe, you know, actual current drug users at the time. And if they weren't, their parents were. And the guy running it and his wife running it were themselves former drug users. And I think she might have done some prostitution, but I might be wrong on that one. I, I apologize if I'm wrong. I'm, I just remember that. So this was the group of kids that I spent a lot of time with there during like junior high. I think it was been like seventh, maybe seventh in the eighth grade, somewhere in that during junior high is where... I really kind of hung out with these people and they were all really cool. There were some of the nicest people I've ever met. Honestly, I mean, I mean, some of these little former gangbanger guys, older guys that did like crimes, 
were really good people, really sweet people who just for some reason decided now I'm going to change my life. And some of them managed to do it for a really long time. I can't speak to their life now, but at the time, at the time it was really impactful for me as a kid who had this father, who had this, 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 this kind of this personal life of, I guess, turmoil for lack of a better word to meet and hang out with other people who experienced the same thing. It kind of normalized it, honestly, not looking back. Anyways, I'm going off the track. So I started getting really involved with this youth group and little by little, I started to really get involved and really start to read the Bible a lot, like a lot. Cause again, I have an addictive personality. I just jumped in with, with everything I had. And next thing you knew, I became a youth pastor, like official kind of youth pastor. Like I would like give sermons and stuff. Like I would help organize events and stand up at the, at the pulpit, right? I'll stand up at the pulpit and like give sermons to other children, other youth. Some of them, I'm, I was one of the youngest ones, most of them older than me. It was weird now looking back. Like, I don't know. Like, if you were to ask me, what did I say? What did I do? I don't know. I honestly don't remember. That was so long ago now. And I've managed to block out some of it. I don't know why, but I have. And I just remember being a youth pastor. And I remember like going over and, and putting together sermons and stuff and like talking to people about, we would go like to the streets and like yell into a microphone about Jesus and about Christianity and about what maybe we can, what God can offer you. And we would go to like the worst parts of town and do it. And we would be like street preaching. And I was a kid, I was a junior high kid out there with these former drug addicts who I really loved and I thought were great people. And they are, they were great people. And, and I would talk to everybody who would come to me about Jesus. I would like carry my Bible to school and talk to people about Jesus and, and about church and stuff. Right. And it didn't seem odd to me. That was the thing looking back, like nobody bullied me. Nobody made fun of me. Nobody did anything. It was just, that was just who I was for a couple of years, a year or two, maybe. And it was, it was interesting that looking back, it, it seems like, it seems like, like it never happened. Honestly, it seems like a phase. And most people who know me really well, know me to be an incredibly vulgar person. I, I can't tell you how much of a miracle it is that I've done five, six, seven podcasts. And I think I haven't cursed once except maybe, I think I said smart ass here about an hour ago or 20 minutes ago. Uh, but I don't, I'm a very vulgar person. I don't now believe any of the stuff that I did when I was a kid. Um, I don't, and we can get into that later, but that's just, you know, what it is. So I was a youth pastor when I was in junior high and I was a pretty, pretty committed and dedicated one. And it's a weird part of my life that I think helps me gain a certain amount of understanding and a certain amount of like spiritualness and calmness. I think honestly, looking back, I think it helps me get some calmness to my life as I look at my son and I've helped raise my son and I don't envision us going to church anytime soon, but if he were to choose that, if somehow he were to become religious, my sisters, I think are, if he were to become religious, I would, I would probably support that to some extent, but I'm not. And, and but because of my childhood and because of that little experience, I think it, it's helped shape me as what I see about religion and it's helped inform me about religion. So whenever somebody I meet who's religious, I sit down and talk to them about it. Like I'm really interested. I'm really interested in people who are religious, people who believe in something bigger than themselves. Right. I, I'm, I'm super interested in that. And I love to talk to people about that, though. I generally do not believe that. Um, and I'm really interested to see how that translates to my son when he has those moments. And I believe he will of, of, of religiousness and seeking out something. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that my experiences through this little time of my life will help me guide him and help me let him figure things out on his own with me kind of watching to make sure he's cool, you know? So that's the story of how I became a youth pastor. This next story, and the last one I'll tell you before I let you go, I've already been doing this for 20 minutes. I apologize. Most of my podcasts don't go this long. Uh, 
if you're listening for the first time, again, my name is Louie for Age of Central. I do a daddy podcast. I am your father. And I generally focus on children and my son and growing up with, you know, raising a son. Today's a different kind of thing. And, I, and you know, if you're still listening, thank you, because it's 20 minutes. I'll leave you with this last story. And this is one that people always have a dramatic reaction to. And I, I guess I understand why, but I've told it so much to friends, and I've actually written about it, like for school assignments. You know, it's kind of my go-to story when I need to 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 tell a story that I think might be impactful in some way. But I've done it so much that I'm kind of numb to it. I I can do it anywhere, anytime. I can ask all your answer all your questions, and I've written. I won like a college award in college for writing about it. I, I'm not exaggerating to say I wrote the thing in like 15 minutes. I didn't even put much thought into it. I just wrote it. And people gave me a, an award for being honest or something. Some weird thing about being honest or being, you know, exposing myself to things. So it's that kind of story, but I don't, I don't think it's honestly that big deal, but I'm sure you'll disagree. So again, my father was my father. And, and again, I'll repeat this as many times as I can. He, I believe him to be a good person generally in his heart. He wasn't mean to me. He wasn't abusive towards us, Th at least not to me. He, he was a good man, I thought, in his moments of soberness, his moments of sobriety. He was a good man. He was a sh cook. He cooked, right? He was a pretty good cook. Uh, he would always make us food when he could. I remember stacks of toast. I remember that uh, pretty pretty cleanly. He was just a drug addict, like a legit heroin drug addict. And anybody who knows heroin addicts, they are messed up. And that that's an evil drug. And have you ever heard people say coffee is like heroin? It's not. Stop it. Right? There's nothing. <laughs> no, oxy oxycodone might be pretty bad. Uh, these other things might be bad now, but like regular things, right? Like I love video games. I'm not addicted to video games, right? I've seen people who are addicted to actual things. That's bad. I've I've quit smoking. I've quit drinking. Neither one of those, neither one of those things required what I've seen my father go through trying to quit heroin. So shut up about it. But there's one day I'm in my room. Uh, everybody's home as far as I remember. And I hear a commotion in the living room. Which by itself isn't rare, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the kind of thing. But this one sounded particularly bad. Like, I, th my parents were arguing pretty loudly. And it was a commotion that I thought maybe might be bad. And now, this is how I remember it. I'll stop here. This is how I remember it. My sisters remembered it a little differently. So, this is how I remember the sequences. So, I'm in the room, hanging out in my room. I had a TV, and I'm just kind of minding my own business. And I hear this ruckus in the, in the living room area. And my, my mother had a home office with a window uh, cut out. And like in the wall, it was a wall, but there was a window cut out of it. And there was no glass. It was just like the window frame, I guess. So you could see into her office if you just stood on the other side of that wall through that window, the desk and everything. So I hear this ruckus going out. I run out to the, my sister comes in. Actually, I'm sorry. My sister comes in and I remember her saying, dad's going to hit mom. And to this point that I know of, my father had never been abusive to any of us, really. I mean, never. And I remember this rush of like emotion that came over me and I don't know if I said it out loud now thinking about it but I sure thought it I thought or maybe I said that there's no way he was gonna hit my mother like that was not gonna be a thing not while I was around and I was a kid I think I might have been younger than I want to say maybe after the church thing so I might have been you know junior high maybe the oldest I was was a freshman in high school but I, I got I think I was younger than all of that to be honest with you and uh and I was like no that's not going to happen. So I went, opened the, my closet door, and I had a shotgun up there. And there was a shotgun. Uh, it was a 12-gauge shotgun, I, I remember. And it was a shotgun that my mother and my grandmother and my mother, grandma, my grandmother had bought for me because I used to go hunting. Me and my grandfather, the only man I've ever really loved, honestly, purely loved, was my grandfather. And we used to go hunting. And, and it was cool. He was a good dude. Um, he's a whole other story, but he was a good dude. So we would go, like, I think dove hunting, right, September. 
and he had a lot of guns. So whenever I'd go to his little uh, home, he lived out in the kind of in the the country, I guess, for lack of a better term. And he had a gun range he made with targets. So I was comfortable with guns. We'd shoot all the time. I remember being a kid shooting guns at like little targets that they made. Like they made welded targets, and we would go shoot them with my uncle and all that. So my sister walks in and says, "Dad's gonna hit mom." Well, no, <laughs> no, he's not. I go and get my shotgun, run out to the living room, and through this cutout window of my mom's home office, I can see my father having my mother pinned against a wall. And as a kid, it was probably a little more dramatic than it, it would be now, I, I think, and I might be wrong, but as a kid, it was frightening. It's frightening to see your mother pinned against a wall and, and scared for the first time. My mother's one of the craziest, strongest people I've ever met, honestly, she is. And, and But to see her afraid was weird for me. And I, I don't think I've ever seen her afraid, ever. And she's, she's incredibly willful. Um, but to see her afraid and to see him that angry was kind of a jarring thing for me. And I think for my sisters, who by this point were just hysterical. They were hysterical. And it didn't help that the brother was standing there with a the shotgun. So I put the shotgun against his head. And this I remember clearly. I put it against the left side of his head. He's facing my mother. His left side is facing me. And I put it right up against his head. And I remember doing it with so much force that his head tilted. I pushed the gun up against his head and his head tilted. And I said something to the effect was, if you hit her, I am going to kill you. It was something like that. There might've been a curse wood in there. And I remember the moment that I absolutely, in that moment, I absolutely meant it. Think about your life. Think about times when you had defining moments in your life. Things that made you who you are. Things that were critical, were, were forks in the road were a left or a right turn and what you did next defined you and everybody in that room for a while, good or bad, small or big. And think about the emotion you felt when you made that decision one way or the other. And when you said something, you said it probably with authority and you said it with conviction. And I was absolutely going to kill this man if he were to hit my mother. That was going to happen. And everybody in the room, I think, felt it. Because everybody at this point is now hysterical. I think me and my father might have been the only ones not hysterical. Him, because a gun was pointed to the temple of his head. Me, because I was the one pointing the gun. Everybody's going crazy, all right? I'm a kid holding the gun to my dad's head. And I'm about to pull the trigger and pretty much end this whole thing. He let her go, calmly let her go, got some stuff together, and left the house. Now, for the rest of our lives since... I've, I've seen him here and there, but I haven't talked to him in years. I want to say at least two decades. I haven't had really any conversation with the guy. I don't hold anything against him. I don't hate him. I just really don't have any point. There's no point to talking to him. The interesting thing about this is after that happened, we never spoke about it. We didn't even speak about it enough to say, don't speak about it. Nobody called the cops because that's not what we do. Nobody called the cops. There was no debriefing afterwards. There was hysteria. There were tears and there was fear, but nobody talked about it ever for a long time, ever in a long time, contradict each other. But you know what I mean? We didn't talk about it for a very long time. As a matter of fact, we didn't talk about it until I brought it up when both me and my sisters were adults, like adults, adults, like in our thirties, me and my thirties, adults, like 15 years went by and we never talked about it as a family. When we did talk about it, we remembered different things about it. Like my sister says she didn't walk in the room and call me out to say that it was happening. I remember that she did that, but she didn't. Um, 
So there was things, and the one thing, honestly, none of us know, and I personally don't know, I don't know if the gun was loaded. I didn't load it when I got it out of the thing. I didn't check to see if it was loaded. I cocked the hammer and I pointed it to his head with intent to kill, if it were to come to that, but I didn't load the gun. But I used to keep it loaded. There's a chance that I'd have pulled that trigger and it would have just clicked. And then God knows what would have happened. There's a chance that if I had pulled that trigger, his head would have exploded. And then God knows what would have happened. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of life's mysteries. What I do know, looking back now, as the father of a three-year-old, is that that dramatic experience changed me as a child. It took years to do it, but it changed me. And now as a father, I look at my son, and I thank God that I, I thank the God that I used to believe in, right? That we will never come to that. That that will never happen to us. We will never come through a life journey, through a life of obstacles, through a life of twists and turns. That'll never, ever be a thing with us. We will never hold a gun to each other's head. We will never go 20 years without speaking. I will never be what my dad was. My son will never be what I was. And that's entirely because of the childhood that I had, good or bad, bad or good, better or worse. Again, I'm not judging my father. My, my father was cool. He was funny. He taught me about baseball. I loved baseball because of him. I went through a summer. I read every book, baseball book in the, the school library or the public library. I'm sorry, because he loved baseball. One of the few stories he told me was of Sandy Koufax. I loved Sandy Koufax. I loved the Raiders. I was a Raider fan because of my father. But my son will never be me, and I will never be him. For whatever reason, through our own life choices, through our own life experiences, I am the father I am now because of the child I was. My son will be the adult he will be because of the kid he is. Kind of the point of the podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. Those are my three stories. Thank you for listening. Yeah.